From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Tuesday, January 16, 2024. I'm Crash Connell, and if you tuned in a little early, that was Zoe Girl, Zoe Girl. Uh, it was almost uh, 20 years ago, 2005, when that uh, song was played on Q90FM. Mary Danielson is here with a brand new podcast today. Yes, good morning, everyone. It uh, January is half over. I think that's a good thing. It seems to be flying by, uh, such as it is. We have an awful lot of snow here, but we are all dug out and ready to go. My guest today is author and apologist Alisa Childers, and I am really grateful that she had a slot in her uh, schedule for us today because I've wanted to have a podcast about the deconstruction movement in Christianity and it needed to be with Elisa. So I'm looking forward to this very much. So I'm going to open with a scripture. We're going to pray and we are going to introduce her and dive right in. My scripture this morning is Galatians 6, 7 to 10, which says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Great exhortation for this morning. Would you pray with me today? Lord, we bring to you all that we are today in this uh, new week that we might surrender all once again, that we could have your righteousness, your grace, the power of your spirit and the measure of faith that you have given each of us to be our guide and to be our sufficiency. Lord, we ask to be found watching and waiting for you with all diligence. Lord, this is our heart's desire and we long to see you. We lift up Elisa to you and ask for grace and wisdom and refreshment uh, in you and in your word, for protection for her and her loved ones, and to finish well and with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Elisa Childers, like I said, is my guest. She's a wife, mom, author, blogger, speaker, and worship leader. She was a member of the award-winning CCM recording group Zoe Girl, and her famous dad is Chuck Gerard of Love Song. She's a respected speaker at apologetics and Christian worldview conferences, as well as host of her popular YouTube channel. Her story was featured in the documentary American Gospel, Christ Crucified. You can connect with her online at alisachilders.com. And her latest book, The The Deconstruction of Christianity, What It Is, Why It's Destructive, and How to Respond, is due to release on January 30th. And it is, uh, I believe, a groundbreaking book on uh, really on the true nature of faith, and uh, it's time to deconstruct the deconstructionists. Uh, uh, Elisa, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Oh, great to be back with you, Mary. Thanks for having me. Well, before we talk... Congratulations on your Green Bay uh, win there. (laughs) That was pretty exciting. I don't think anyone saw that coming, so yes, we enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, Before we talk about this topic and define some terms, because that's really important today, um, you wrote this book, The Deconstruction of Christianity, with Tim uh, Tim Barnett. How did you two connect and and, um, plan to write together? Yeah, well, Tim and I had done uh, some things together, and uh, of course, Tim works for Stand to Reason. That's Greg Kokel's ministry, the apologetics ministry, so we're kind of in the same circle. 
And so my background being talking a lot about the movement of progressive Christianity and kind of giving the biblical answer to it, of course, deconstruction plays a big role in progressive Christianity. And so not a lot of people were talking about progressive Christianity and deconstruction, at least that I could see. Um, but then people started talking about it, but I was, to be honest, a little frustrated with the way some Christian leaders were talking about deconstruction because they were co-opting a term that meant something really specific in culture, and they were trying to make it into something positive. Hmm. I was a little bit frustrated by that, but then I noticed that Tim was posting a lot about deconstruction, and I loved what he was posting. He was posting about some talks he was giving to youth about deconstruction, and I just thought, man, Tim really, really gets deconstruction. And so one day, uh, now as Tim tells the story, he was sitting in a, a meeting, and he, he had this idea that like somebody needs to write a book on deconstruction. So he actually texted me and said, hey, are you going to write a book on deconstruction? Well, at the time, I was completely buried with writing my second book, which is called Live Your Truth and Other Lies. And I thought, oh, Tim, I said, I can't, I can't. I'm just t- totally busy writing this book. And I don't want to write another book for a long time because I've been, I feel like I've been writing books for years and I just need a break. But then Tim suggested, well, what if we wrote it together? And the second he wrote that, I thought, this is going to happen. And so we started talking about it and went to contract. And my the pause button on writing books had to wait. (laughs) But I'm glad that it did because I think this was an important book that needed to come out when it did Mm -hmm. or when it is coming out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, So let's just jump right in here. What exactly is the deconstruction in the context of something as important as faith and eternal matters, because we know the Bible makes the claim that it alone contains all we need for life and godliness. So is this at the heart of it, just a rejection of the scriptures? And I know you're uniquely qualified to talk about this because you had your own uh, deconstruction movement, um, things that you rethought or whatever. And I know we want to differentiate between some of these terms. So help us mm-hmm. out here. What What is deconstruction? What is this movement in Christendom? Yeah, so deconstruction is a very difficult word to define. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think for Tim and I, the hardest sentence that we had to write in the whole book was our one-sentence definition of deconstruction. And I'll give that to you in just a moment, but I want to do a little bit of uh, sort of you know ramp up to it, because a lot of times people hear our definition and they assume a lot of things and they uh, they, they even can be offended because they're not understanding the nuances that we're saying. So okay. what I want to acknowledge off the bat is that people are using the word deconstruction in a various different ways. In fact, you could talk to 10 different people and ask them what deconstruction is, and you're probably going to get 10 different definitions. Mm. And so the reason Tim and I wanted to give such a succinct definition is because it can't be that it means everything, right? Because mm. people are using it to mean everything from maybe changing what you think the Bible says about eschatology or women in ministry or mm. or maybe, you know, Calvinism versus uh, non-Calvinism. And people are calling that deconstruction, but then they're also meaning it, everything from that to like leaving the faith entirely. Mm-hmm. And so Tim and I were thinking, well, it can't mean all those things. And so that's why we're trying to, add, we're, we're giving a definition and defending it in the book. So our okay. definition is that, Faith deconstruction is a postmodern process of rethinking your faith, but not requiring scripture as a standard. And the reason Mm. that we define it that way is because, and we can dig down into this if you'd like to, but it's related with postmodernism, 
but it's also the dominant expression of deconstruction in culture is a rejection of the historic Christian worldview. Okay. Now, people get upset when we say that, but if you ask more questions, very often people will say, well, I'm just rethinking an interpretation, but when you ask more questions, really what they're doing is redefining the Christian faith. And so mm-hmm. if someone is asking hard questions, maybe rethinking some of the positions they were taught in the stream of Christianity they grew up with, but they're still going to Scripture to find their answers, we're saying, yes, do that. That's good. Everybody needs to make their faith their own and ask hard questions. Mm-hmm. But let's call that something else, Let's because mm-hmm. that's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. The Bible says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. And if mm-hmm. you're doing that, we don't need to borrow a postmodern word to describe a biblical process. Mm-hmm. So we say, let's use the word... You know, I don't care what you call it. Reformation is the one we advocate for in the book, but uh, Ginger uh, Duggar-Volo, who mm-hmm. left the Gothard teachings, she mm-hmm. uses the word disentanglement. I think that's yeah. good. Yes, I read but her I read her story. Yeah. Oh, isn't it so good? It's oh, such wow. a great book. Yes. But, you know, deconstruction has a very specific context, and it has philosophical baggage. So let's leave that word to what it's meaning in culture, and let's use a better word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I really like how you've defined that, um, because there is such a thing as a healthy examination of one's beliefs or re-examine, especially if you were in the church as a youngster and you mm-hmm. took everything at face value and, and you recited your verses and all that. And then when you become a more critical thinker, hopefully you will, um, I think, um, it really is important, um, because if you came out of a church, now here's another possibility that doesn't teach the whole council and maybe they emphasize pet doctrines or experience. Mm-hmm. And the Bible actually says, be a Berean. So the Bible gives us really the command to uh, learn how to interpret Scripture rightly. And so there's a little time of space there that, that people need to do that. Um, the Bible does encourage us to use the brains God gave us. So it is not that. So I'm glad that you uh, defined that. Um, I, I guess I want to I ask you, um, what are the factors, what are some of the factors that can push someone towards deconstruction uh, like you said, it's not just, well, I changed my rapture view or I changed my view on women. Um, mm-hmm. And there were a lot of kids raised in that evangelical church. After the Jesus movement, you had a lot of people get married. They had a lot of kids and they're grown adults. And a lot of them, and I've seen this myself, are no longer involved in the church. I call it quiet quitting Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and this is a loaded question, but uh, they were raised in the church. Sometimes maybe they weren't actually even a part of the church. What are your thoughts on that? Like I said, I know that's a little bit of a loaded question, but um, yeah. is, is that in view here? There's there's a wide gate, there's a narrow gate, uh, there's an awful lot that you can call from in the scriptures on this. Yeah, so I think that the point you're making is a good one. Now, in the book, I'll, I'll just say this, you know, one of the questions people always ask us is, are you saying that if somebody deconstructs and leaves the faith that they were never saved in the first place? Mm-hmm. And what I always say is, in the book, we don't speculate on that question. Okay. We're taking the words of the deconstructionists, and we're saying what it is from what they're saying. But I think, this is just my personal opinion, I think you've, you've touched on something very important with the rise of the megachurch model, the seeker-sensitive movement, mm-hmm. that sort of explosion, and then you have the explosion of social media. I think what, what we're seeing in, is a lot of people who have grown up in the church, maybe grown up in a big, seeker-sensitive megachurch, and they like Christianity, they like the activities, they might even think they're Christians because they believe some of the right things, mm. but perhaps they haven't trusted in Christ personally. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's the one thing that I see in 
the deconstruction stories is that if you listen very carefully, you almost never hear that when they originally converted to Christianity, there was this at least a moment they could trace back to where they realized they were a sinner, where they were convicted of their sin, where they cried out to Jesus to save them. They turned to Christ in repentance, you know, have mercy on me, O Lord, a sinner. In fact, somebody who has really borne this out, and that is anecdotal evidence, of course, Mm -hmm. this is not backed by data or anything, but uh, Sean McDowell, who has a YouTube channel where he invites a lot of people on that he doesn't agree with and has conversations, and he's had several deconstructionists on, and he always asks them, he tells his story of crying out to Jesus to save him, and he says, what was your conversion moment? And nearly every time, well, I would just say every time, it's like you're in the headlights. There's not mm. that moment that they can trace back to that to show that they were actually converted in the first place. Mm. And so I do think we're seeing the fallout of a lot of that. We're seeing the fallout of a lack of discipleship. But on the other side of things, we're, we are seeing a lot of scandals. We're seeing a lot of instances of spiritual abuse and church abuse. And there is a legitimate, uh, what's the word, um, a legitimate complaint, I think, mm-hmm. against the church, where there have been, especially with the way social media is uh, organized, it attracts, I think, narcissistic pastors that can end up using the pulpit to bully people. And, and I, I mean, I've experienced that in my life. So I'm sympathetic to the deconstructionists for some of those causes and yeah. some of those reasons. But if you have truly trusted in Christ, I can't see how the abuse of the good teachings of God could make you turn away from Jesus himself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that there's a con- there can be a combination of things. It, it's In the book we talked about, it's like the intersection of your faith foundation, mm-hmm. and then the intersection of that, and then maybe some crises or triggers that could cause the house to crumble. And some of those triggers could be abuse. It could be maybe you've seen the hypocrisy of other Christians or a moral failing of a pastor or the mishandling of a moral failure of your pastor. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side of things, some of those crises and triggers can be that somebody just simply does not like Christian morality anymore. It doesn't line up with what their inner self is telling them is good or, you know, biblical sexual ethics seem outdated and even harmful. Mm-hmm. And so it can be just a whole mess of things that mm-hmm. kind of come together in this big ball of wax, you know, that gets thrown out altogether. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you just said, uh, because you hear this word toxic thrown around quite a bit. Certain mm-hmm. beliefs are toxic. Theology, people are toxic. Of course, we're you know, the church has sinners in the church and imperfect people everywhere. But but people, and I think I agree with you, people legitimately have feel that they have been wounded by the church um, you know, maybe they haven't connected with people. A sense of community is something that people think is very, very important today because they feel so alienated by the culture and, and social mm-hmm. media and that sort of thing. So the thing they're drawn to, which is social media, is the very thing that alienates them. And because we're wired to be gravitating to people, not devices, um, they, they feel that they need the sense of community, but then they're let down by people. Um, like you said, church leaders can be very narcissistic and controlling. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I think, too, uh, I think a lot of younger people have not been raised to have coping skills in life, and they're easily offended, and the church isn't really helping them mature in the faith. I think some, not all, of course, some parents have dropped the ball on basic navigating life 101, 
And so mm-hmm. Christianity offends them. The media constantly represents a Christianity that is hypocritical and filled with really slimy types of characters who are more interested in politics than faith. Um, right. It really is a perfect storm, I think, Elisa. And um, how 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 can we help these young people understand that the moral imperatives found in Scripture, even if you weren't raised with that, um, still stand. They, this, this scripture that you're reading is God speaking to you. So now we have another off ramp here. Well, it's really not the word of God. I've worked in a church for many, many years. Um, and young people living together before marriage, you know, we do weddings, we, uh, premarital counseling. No one mm-hmm. was living together. Now everyone's living together. And so right. they want a Christianity made in their own image. Um, how can mm. we bring some of these young people along and help them to see that there is authority, there are absolutes? Is it is it too late for a lot of the youngsters? I actually have quite a bit of hope for Gen Z and even Gen Alpha that's coming up behind them. Mm-hmm. My kids are both Gen Z. And it's true that studies have shown and demonstrated that the dominant worldview of Gen Z is moral relativism. In other words, most Gen Z kids in America believe that what we should or shouldn't do, those moral imperatives, those are just kind of subjective. Those are determined by each person. They're relative to each person's inner, you know, conscience. That is true. However, I know that my kids are seeing the chaos in culture, and they don't like it. Mm. There's something in which they're like, we got to reclaim something because this is chaos. This mm-hmm. is confusion. This is insanity that they're that they're facing, and they're seeing in real time, the consequences of moral relativism. And so I think as more Christian parents really choose to intentionally disciple their kids with things like apologetics, we have to do apologetics now because because of social media. You can't, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't even know what the neighbors down the street believed unless my mom told me. I, you know, we had Catholic neighbors, so I knew they ate fish on Fridays and they had a bunch of kids, and that's about all I knew about that. Yeah. So, you know, now you have this, total access to the entire world through your screen. And we have to be teaching kids how to think critically about those things. And so teaching kids about the nature of truth, what is truth? I I catechize my kids Mm -hmm. with that question. What is truth? Truth is what is real. They will repeat that back to you. Truth is not determined by what's in my heart. It's not determined by my feelings. It's not determined by what the majority of people think. It's determined by reality. You match what you're saying or what you believe to what's real, what is actually real. And so I think as Christian parents do more of that, I think we're going to see some changes because I think kids are hungry for it because they see how chaotic our culture is and how really uh, contradictory our culture is. You know, take feminism and the whole transgender movement. It's like our 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 culture wants to tell us that, you know, women have rights, but then they also want to say we don't know what a woman is. And kids are seeing that and they're going, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And so I, I do have a lot of hope. But also, Mary, the other thing I would say is I think kids are hungry for theology, for the Bible. You know, um, we we just went to church on Sunday and we have a new pastor and it, he just opened the Bible and taught the Bible, and everybody's we were just all like, this was so good. And then I, as I thought about that some more, I'm like, but really it wasn't because of him. It's just because he yeah. let the, the Scripture sing. Yeah. And I think when we will let the Scripture sing and not try to be cute with it, I think that's 
for sure going to meet a deep need in our younger kids because they're hungry for God, and that's God's revelation. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I'm thinking, as I was thinking through this topic, I thought to myself, you know, this deconstruction is the spirit of the age. We have people uh, mm. deconstructing their gender and, and reconstructing as some completely different human being. Uh, how bizarre is that? Deconstructing the culture. Woke politics is taking all mm-hmm. of the things that we have all held dear for so long and 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 uh, reconstructing that, um, deconstructing history, tearing down statues. Um, mm. Right now, and I don't know if this actually fits this term, deconstructing our money. They're they're taking away money as as the world has known it for for millennia and turning it into a digital thing. I don't know if these actually fit the definition, but there's mm-hmm. something. This world is going through massive changes. Uh, I know that the enemy of our souls uh, knows his time is short. We are headed for a completely different unit of time than this world has ever seen. Mm. But I think this is the spirit of the age, and and it's dark, Elisa. It is so dark. Yeah. And I love what you're doing. You're coming against this, at least within the church movement. And so uh, I'm so, so happy about that. Um, I want to, in the time we have in this half yet, oh, we've got about nine minutes here. Absolute Truth uh, took a tremendous hit in the emergent church, the progressive lean that is mm-hmm. postmodernism. Is a lot of this today the rotten fruit of emergent theology? Because um, pastors don't really teach the scriptures they teach from the bible which is very different than actually teaching the bible systematically mm-hmm. in context which has to happen context is king and so those are very different things so what are the postmodern roots of deconstruction do you feel the emergent church along with the seeker movement are primary uh, culprits in this well, this I thank you for this question, because this is really at the heart of why we defined it the way that we did. So I, I think that the emergent church really is the rotten fruit, and yes, a lot of this is the rotten fruit of the emergent church, which is the rotten fruit of postmodern philosophy. So this is something that really gained steam in our culture in the 60s. There were philosophers, uh, French philosophers, Michel Foucault, Jacques Derrida. In fact, Jacques Derrida is referred to as the father of deconstruction. Hmm. Now, for Derrida, now these these were not Christians, but it influenced our culture so much that I, I really think that's what gave rise to the emergent church, because if you look back at the history of the emergent church, the reason that it emerged in the first place was because Christian leaders came together and they thought, well, how can we reach this postmodern culture? And so in the very beginning, there was a mix of more theologically sound pastors with more progressive pastors, and then it became very apparent that the progressive pastors were liberal. They were not holding to historic Christian doctrines, and so it pushed the conservatives out. So very mm-hmm. early on, that that's why the movement is remembered as very progressive, because that's the, the end influence that it had. But that was because of the influx of postmodern philosophy. So, so let's go back to Jacques Derrida. So Jacques Derrida, he applied his postmodern philosophy to text and words. And he didn't believe that words could be pinned down to singular meanings and definitions. Hmm. So for Derrida, the meaning of the words, that was determined by the reader or the hearer. The interpretation was not determined by the intent of the author. In fact, the intent of the author had no more bearing on the interpretation than what the hearers and the readers came up with. Now, I think you could just take that and see that all over the deconstruction movement, because that is what constantly they will come on my social media and say, here's a perfect example. We posted our definition on my Instagram a few days ago, 
And you can go in and look at all the comments from the deconstructionists, and almost every pushback we received was them saying, well, that's just your interpretation. Well, you're, you know, whose interpretation of Scripture? And that's because they have, they're just demonstrating our point, that they have bought into the textual deconstruction of Jacques Derrida. They don't think the text has objective meaning. So therefore, deconstruction for them is figuring out what you want it to mean or what you think it means. Hmm. And certainly deconstructing whatever they think I think it means. And it's really interesting, too, because they think Tim and I you know, have the exact same position on absolutely everything, and it's our interpretation of Scripture that we're telling everybody. When, you know, Tim and I don't even agree on everything, <laughs> but what we're saying is the text has objective meaning. We should be trying to get to that. So there's that. But then there was a guy named John Caputo, and he took the, the deconstructionist philosophy of Jacques Derrida, and he applied it to religion and more specifically to Christianity. Now, oh. Caputo, I mean, he makes the round on the deconstructionist podcast, I mean, this guy is somebody that is looked up to in that movement. And so if you think of Jacques Derrida applying it to text and words, essentially it's a rejection of the idea that absolute truth exists and can be known when it comes to religion mm-hmm. and morality. And then Caputo applied that to Christianity. And so Caputo will even say, if Jesus was alive today on earth, like physically like he was in the first century, he would be pro-LGBTQ+, plus mm-hmm. because he would look around to culture and see that that's the better way, and he would change his mind. Because for the deconstructionists, everything is fluid. Everything is relative. And so morality, religion, you can just kind of, you are the truth maker. It's, it's a self-led process. And so, um, and, and that's really what we see in the deconstruction movement, and that's the, the link to postmodernism. Wow. Wow. Very, very interesting history there. Uh, and I think uh, almost what ties in with this is, uh, basing our faith or our what our view of church on emotion. Now, I know the emotion-based church is very popular right now, crafting services and worship in such and such a way to uh, get an emotional reaction from people, not an emotional response, which we will get when we read scriptures. We will be touched emotionally. Mm. An emotional mm-hmm. reaction, which is a very, very different thing. And people might come away and say, you know, I didn't feel that. I don't experience what other people, I don't have that joy. Do pe- mm. Are people uh, harming our church is harming people by putting experience, mm. subjectivity over faith and not preparing youth with truth about the difficulty of the Christian life. Oh, my goodness, Mary. <laughs> this is opening. I'm about to like get on a soapbox with this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I think churches are setting people up for doubt and for deconstruction by making, sort of setting up the environment to where if you don't get the feels, you know, maybe yeah. you didn't experience the presence of God. In fact, I, I will, of course, again, this is anecdotal, but I deal with a lot of Gen Z kids. When I go speak at Summit and Impact 360, I'm, I'm interacting with Gen Z a lot throughout the year. And one of the most common sources of doubt that I find from Gen Z is people saying, well, I don't hear God speak to me like everybody else does. Mm. I mean, you know, when, I, when I'm in worship, I don't feel like what my friends are feeling like. Am I even saved? Am I a Christian? And a lot of doubt about their own spiritual life comes from not having the correct feelings. And so this is why I love to tell Gen Z, if you are a Christian, you have trusted in Christ, you are saved by grace through faith alone, and that is true whether you feel it or not. So just get off that train, because sometimes I don't feel it at all. But part of the problem with those emotion-based worship services and even many of the songs that are sung 
is that we're singing about how we feel when we worship. We're not actually worshiping. And that is, I think, probably my biggest pet peeve with worship is that I don't want to come to church on Sunday and sing about how I feel because not everybody feels the same way. <laughs> and good so if, point. I, if I'm saying, oh, I feel so good when I'm saying this and I don't feel good, then I feel like I'm lying. And then I'm in an existential <laughs> crisis because I can't even sing the worship song. Right. We should be singing about the attributes of God, glorifying mm-hmm. him. And then, you know, sometimes your feelings will catch up with that, but whether they do or they don't, That's you right. have worshiped and the virtues of your creator and God has been worshipped. I just think we need a complete redo on how we think about worship and how we conduct our services. I I truly do. Yes, and I love when there are hymns in there because there's doctrine in there that you can agree with. There's scripture. You're singing scripture. And I saw a quote last week that said, worship isn't singing, it's surrender. And that Mm. is something everyone can do corporately instead of agreeing on the lyrics or saying, wow, I mean my, this is, I'm singing about myself, this is insane actually surrendering to God and who he is versus who Mm. we are and the love that we have for him. So I I totally agree with you on all of that. Um, Let's get the how does this make you feel kind of thing out of there or God showed up. Really? I didn't know God Mm. showed up or that we were waiting for that. These are phrases and catchphrases that I just don't. I've come to not like those very much at all. This is Mary Danielson. We are on Stand Up for the Truth with Elisa Childers, and we're talking about the deconstruction of Christianity uh, why, what it is, why it's destructive, and how to respond. That book is coming out on January the 30th. I highly recommend it. I'm pre-ordering my copy. Uh, I think this is a very important subject. And so we're going to be back with Elisa in just a little bit here. We have a two-minute break. And then we're going to talk about, I want to talk about counseling and hashtags and all that sort of thing with Elisa. So I hope that you will stay with me. And um, we're looking forward to the second half of this podcast. So stay with me. Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for this Tuesday, January the 16th. Uh, We've had quite a bit of snow here, and I understand Elisa's had some snow there where she is. And um, I love, we're talking about uh, the deconstruction of Christianity, and Elisa's book is due to release January 30th. It's called The Deconstruction of Christianity, What It Is, Why It's Destructive, and How to Respond. And I love conversations like this because it invariably leads to discussing the state of the church. And I think uh, taking a deep dive and looking at what has gone on in the church since I got saved in the early 80s, um, when there was only a couple different Bible translations, and now there are a hundred Bible versions to appeal to everyone. So the narcissism of the church and so many other things have come home to roost, I do believe, through deconstruction. And Elisa, I want to talk about something called hashtags in the deconstruction movement. Um, this is something you will find on Instagram for those who, who aren't real um, social media savvy. What is a hashtag in deconstruction? What are what are some of them? And and uh, it's just exploding. I understand. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the deconstruction hashtag and the ex evangelical hashtag are two hashtags that are used pretty much on every deconstruction post. And it's just a way for people to search a hashtag and then find all the posts that talk about that particular topic. Okay. And so the the ex evangelical hashtag is one that's used in conjunction with and even synonymous with the deconstruction hashtag, and that's a hashtag that was started by a guy named Blake Chastain in 2016, and it's been used millions of times since he first used that hashtag, and I think it's important to understand what that's all about, because I think a lot of people think, oh, well, ex-evangelical, that just means not evangelical anymore, 
And there's really a lot more to it. And so what we see in the deconstruction, really it's an explosion. That's what we call it in the book is it's, it's an explosion. What we see in that explosion is really people leaving what whatever they think the evangelical church is. So as far as the ex-evangelical hashtag, what you don't see are maybe, maybe it's somebody who grew up Presbyterian and they convert to Catholicism. They don't use the ex-evangelical hashtag to describe that. Mm. So... What you think ex-evangelical means will have everything to do with what you think evangelical means. And that's a tricky word, because there really is not an agreed-upon definition. People use the the word evangelical kind of like they use deconstruction, where it can mean a lot of different things to different people. Now, classically, a lot of people go with what's called the Bebbington's quadrilateral, Mm. where Bebbington um, characterized the evangelical movement under four points, and those were uh, an emphasis on the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, um, biblical authority, personal conversion, and then activism, which really meant preaching the gospel mm-hmm. around the world. And and I think globally, that is how people understand evangelical. But in America, the word evangelical, in a lot of people's minds, means something more along the lines of, like God, God, guns, and Trump. <laughs> you know, yes. it's become this very political word. Yes. And so a lot of people, like somebody might even just say, oh, I'm an evangelical because I'm a Republican or something. So it means a lot of different things to different people. But in the mind of the deconstructionist, and this is where it's going to connect with postmodernism. Remember we talked about postmodernism being a rejection of the idea that absolute truth exists mm-hmm. or can be known when it comes to religion and morality. Well, if you don't think that objective truth can be known when it comes to religion, and then the Christian comes along claiming to know what it is, you're not going to be engaging with the Christian on the level of saying things like, well, is that true that I'm a sinner? Is that actually, does that match reality? You're not going to be asking those questions. Mm -hmm. You don't think the Christian can know those things. So you're going to be going to motive. Very, you still there? I think we lost our, um, we got her back. Elisa, are you back? Yes, I'm back. Oh, we lost you. What happened? Well, you were talking about motives there, and I thought that was a, that was an interesting, and all of a sudden I thought, I heard a click, and I thought, uh oh, I'm not going to hear what she means by that. So, um, (laughs) if, can you remember exactly where you were at and where we lost you? I believe so, because, yeah, it just said my call, it just said call failed. (laughs) Oh, no, it failed. Uh, So, yeah, so when, when the Christian comes along saying, hey, I believe that, you know, we are sinners, you need to get saved, Jesus is your savior, He's the judge. There's a place called hell. Mm-hmm. Instead of interacting with the truth claim of that, the postmodern person is just going to be asking, well, why would you be saying that? Well, you must be trying to control me. In fact, you will often see in that ex-evangelical hashtag that the church just invented the doctrine of hell to control people with fear, or the mm-hmm. church is just trying to prop up some institution of oppression. The church is just trying to keep you in the fold to protect their power. Sure. These are the kinds of statements that you'll Ugh. see in that hashtag because they are rejecting the idea that you could even know such things yeah. about reality. Wow. And so with exvangelical, the, the hashtag really means leaving the historic Christian faith, because, um, in fact, Blake Chastain, the, the guy that came up with that hashtag, he wrote a blog post saying, here's what we're leaving. And he listed things like biblical sexuality. He called it heteronormativity and the sanctity of heterosexuality. That's what he said. They're leaving that idea. Hmm. He said they're leaving the idea that um, women should submit to men. He said, we're leaving the idea that America is the best way of life. We're leaving conservative politics. And, and yet, when 
you look in the evangelical hashtag, every single time they will call doctrines like original sin, um, justification by faith, the doctrine of hell, they will call these beliefs toxic and even abusive. Mm. So it's like this whole ball of wax, like we talked about earlier, gets thrown out. And so the result, no matter how they frame it with their words, they might say, I'm just reinterpreting the Bible, I'm just making my faith my own, but if you ask more questions in that hashtag, it's a rejection of core historic Christian doctrines. And a lot of times that will be under the guise of reinterpreting the Bible or something along Mm -hmm, those lines. mm -hmm. And I think the Church maybe should have a little talk with itself about priorities. Is it politics? What about prophecy? Where did that go? Because they've, you know, thrown that to the curb too. Um, They basically, there's a dumpster fire going on with the, with rapture views and that sort of thing. Um, There's scoffers, of course, Peter says, they will, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Not just where is his Mm. coming, but he promised. So this is, God has let us down. There's an awful lot that's being kicked to the curb, but I don't think it's, uh, ill-advised for the church to get a little introspective about a few of these things, because if if we are being known for being uh, for voting for Trump or this or that, we've kind of lost sight of the big picture. So it's a good opportunity. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, so where have we maybe lost our way? But I agree with the evangelical term. I think that has been absolutely dragged through the mud. When I hear terms like evangelical leaders say, and then I read what they say, I think they're not my leaders. These people are not right. my leaders, so I have distanced myself from actually labeling myself. Yeah, um, sure. You know, I just don't uh, care about care for that very much at all. But I want to talk to you about people called deconstructionists. Now, who are these people? Do they have motives? Are they are there ringleaders here? Because you'd think, well, this could be a Lone Ranger thing. One person says, "I want to leave. I'm disenchanted. I don't believe A, B, C, and D." But this is bigger than that. Would you say so? There are leaders. With motives here, this is kind of snowballing into something nasty. Well, who are deconstructionists? Yeah, so in the book, we differentiate differentiate between someone who's deconstructing and a deconstructionist. The okay. deconstructionist is the person with the public platform that's actively evangelizing others into deconstruction, ah. um, shepherding people, discipling people. It's very religious in its wow. nature, where you have the priests and the prophets, Wow. the social media stars, and you have the, the testimony that's the deconstruction story. You have the great decommission rather than the great commission. Wow. You have almost like um, sacraments. You know, deconstruction is a bit of a sacrament. And so there's these whole communities online that are led wow. by people who are actively trying to get others into deconstruction because they believe the Christian worldview, as we would describe it, is toxic. And so um, it, it's, we couldn't put this in the book. We had to chop so much out of the book because we had so, so much extra stuff that we had to trim out. But one of the sections that I was playing around with was the idea of deconstruction as a cultural religion. Because it's not like you just have somebody, like you said, become disenchanted with the faith, walk away quietly and kind of just do their own thing. Mm-hmm. You have militant groups that are... I mean, you can see it on social media when when we post something and somebody sort of alerts the horde, they all come over and mock and scoff and, and all the things like you described. And it's very it's in a, in a way it's not like officially organized. It's loosely organized. But there are these networks of people that are all actively trying to get other people to deconstruct and affirming people and. Um, celebrating people, I, th- this broke my heart, yeah. but um, in the research, one of the posts that I saw, someone came in the comments and timidly said, 
you guys, I think that I finally, finally don't believe in hell anymore. And the absolute just rush of people celebrating this person, congratulating this person, you're finally free, my friend, you know, all these kinds of comments. So it's really seen as virtuous to leave these quote-unquote toxic doctrines behind. And yes, there are absolute evangelists. There are, there are counselors. There are therapy sites, pro-deconstruction coaches that you can find yes. online, mm-hmm. many of them. There are conferences. You can buy the T-shirt. <laughs> it's very much like an evangelical infrastructure. It's like they've left the evangelical world, but they've brought along all of the the infrastructure and yeah. applied it to deconstruction. Wow. And it is anti-authority. You know, there's a lot in this world, in this culture of you ain't the boss of me, and they don't want to be ruled. They don't want to be told that God um, has a claim on your life. Uh, there are absolute mm. truths. Uh, the meme, of course, we've seen the meme that says, uh, there are no absolute truths, and I'm absolutely sure of that. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, so at the heart of it is absolute hypocrisy, and people know that. Um, and I, I went online and I looked, because I have heard of these counseling services, um, because I know of some young people that are, are deconstructing, and um, it says one site, this is just one site, um, that they actually call it Christian counseling, which it, it just makes your head mm. spin. One site helping people find a good therapist said, quote, find a therapist who's not working to make sure you stay Christian. Uh, right. one, who, one who doesn't prioritize your salvation over healthy boundaries, autonomy, and healing from your trauma. Well, those are some pretty broad categories, and a lot of people right. fit into that, or, or they've told themselves they fit into that. Um what what do you say to families who maybe have someone in their family that is seeing this deconstruction counselor? Is there mm. is there something you can do or say? I know prayer is number one on all of that, that their eyes would be opened by the power of the yes. Holy Spirit. But what do you say to people like that? Yeah, well, this is such an important question. In fact, it's so important. We wrote a whole chapter mm. addressing it. It's the chapter called Advice, because... I think the, the number one thing I would tell people, and that's really, by the way, who our book is written to. This is not the book you're going to give to the person in deconstruction. This is the book mm. you're going to give to their moms and dads, their pastors, wow. their brothers and sisters, their husbands and wives. This this book is written, I mean, we sure hope that if anybody's in deconstruction and they read it, they might you know, have some clarity and, and whatever, but yeah. we didn't write it for them. We okay. wrote it for their loved ones. And so we have a whole chapter on advice, and I think that I would maybe just have kind of three points on on this, and then you can get the book to dive deeper. But number one, you have to understand the nature of what's happening to your loved one. As Christians, we are so wired for truth that our knee-jerk reaction is like, okay, well, let's have a coffee date, and I'm going to fix their theology over coffee. <laughs> but you have to understand, they're not even dealing in the same ball field of reality that you are, because they don't believe that that objective truth exists with religion mm-hmm. and they already have decided that you are a toxic and harmful person it's not just that they think your beliefs are toxic they think you are toxic and mary night after night when i speak i meet older parents who have grown children who have deconstructed cut them off even sometimes written them what's called a no contact letter this is happening many wow. people listening to us right now are going, oh my gosh, that's me. I've received one of those letters. So I think it's really important to understand the nature of what's happening to your your loved one. Now, with that in view, we give some advice that we think might be counterintuitive for some Christians, but it's kind of like doing triage. You know, when there's an accident and then people start flooding the ER, 
the, they assess the injuries and treat according to what yeah. needs to be treated most urgently. So the guy with the punctured lung is going to get treated before the guy with the broken wrist. And so with the knowledge of the nature of what's happening to them, we actually give you permission to do some triage. And if it's, if you might have just a fragile window of opportunity to simply stay in their life. And so mm-hmm. in that case, it's okay to back mm-hmm. off. Um, you don't have to bring in a bunch of truth claims right away because that's not going to get you very far with them anyway. And so just live the beauty of the gospel out, back off. If there is relationship and there's an invitation to have that conversation, ask a lot of questions to seek to understand, really listen. Mm-hmm. And and because in some cases there has been legitimate spiritual abuse, and maybe the healing from that needs to take precedence over the confusion theologically. Mm-hmm. There can be all sorts of ways um, that you need to apply biblical wisdom to the very specific circumstance your loved one is in. And then, of course, prayer. I think people feel helpless when they, when we say, you know, it's okay to step back and just stay in their life. Well, it's okay to also, you can take that time. You're not powerless. You can take that time to pray for your loved one. But um, in the book, in that advice chapter, we walk through very specific scenarios of how this might play out with different relationships. Like, how might this play out between a husband and wife? How might this play out with a parent of a teenager? How might this play out with an older couple that has grown children and grandchildren, like how might we apply some of these principles? And so um, I will tell you that if you pre-order the book, you can get that advice chapter for free and early, even before the mm. book comes out. In fact, mm. you'll get it right away. So if you if you pre-order the book, wherever books are sold, grab your receipt number and head over to the deconstructionofchristianity.com and you can fill out the form and you'll get that advice chapter for free and right away. And you'll also get 60 days of free access to the audiobook. So I just wanted to mention wow, that that's because, great. because we're talking about that advice. You can actually, you can read that today. Wow, that's great. Uh, yeah, thank you for mentioning that and, and all the things that you've mentioned. Because deconstructing, I think, is an endgame. Maybe people didn't see this coming because it's a symptom of something much deeper. And I love what you said about listening to people. What's your story? You have a conversion story. Maybe you have a deconversion story. And both are important. You know, I'm going to age myself here. But when I was uh, a younger believer and up until not too long ago, this was called backsliding. Do you think right. that deconstruction is basically backsliding, presuming the person was in the faith in the first place? Because that's what I would call it. Well, that's very interesting you would use that word, because back in 2019, I don't know if you remember the book, I Kiss, Date, and Goodbye. Josh yeah, Harris was like yeah. an icon of purity culture, right? right? Uh-huh. And in 2019, he announced his divorce, and then two weeks later, he went on Instagram and announced his deconstruction. And he said, the biblical phrase is falling away, or I, wow. I think he even mentioned backsliding, if I remember um, <laughs> going back to that. Essentially, that, that's what he says. I have, I have fallen away. I have backslid. I am not a Christian anymore. And what's interesting is that even he, who is no longer a Christian, used that word, mm-hmm. um, falling away, backsliding, to describe his deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think in many cases, it is mm-hmm. like backsliding. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, all of that's going to be dependent on certain factors about a yeah. person's particular journey, if they really were a Christian in the first place. Yeah. And, and so, you know, God knows all of that stuff. We don't know that. But, um, yeah, it's 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 falling away. It's leaving the faith. Yeah, and it's very interesting because it's a much more negative, convicting kind of term than deconstruction, which, while not really positive, it does sort of point them forward instead of 
backward. And I think mm-hmm. because so many things have been redefined over the years, why not just redefine backsliding too while we're at it so that we don't feel bad right. about ourselves? Because, of, because right. here's the other thing, self-esteem. I mean, my daughter was raised during the self-esteem movement uh, in the schools mm-hmm. and everywhere. you got to feel great about yourself. And if you don't feel great about yourself, there's something wrong. And, oh, Elisa, it's just been a minefield of trying mm. to get people from point A to point B because life is hard and people don't yeah. want to feel life is hard because life in America, we are told, is not supposed to be hard. We have washing machines. We have everything we need, and we are the most unhappy people mm. on earth. So yeah. that, you know, yeah. uh, wow, I'm so glad you mentioned and, talking to people if you're able to do that. Yeah, and, and let me add one thing to the backsliding question because okay. somebody might be listening to us who's really going through a rough time and, Maybe maybe you grew up in uh, unbiblical with unbiblical teachings that you're trying to untangle from from true teachings, and you've been calling that deconstruction. And you're saying, "Well, are you saying I'm falling away? I'm I'm right. backsliding?" Right. And that's where we're saying, "No, mm-hmm. you need to untangle those bad beliefs from the good ones." Yeah. But but you, I don't think you're deconstructing if you're going to scripture. I think you're reforming your faith. I think okay. you're practicing discernment and you're maturing and growing in your faith. So don't. Don't stress say that you're backsliding if you've used the word deconstruction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to look at what, what you're actually doing. If okay. you're saying Christianity is toxic, I'm leaving that, that's backsliding. Okay, right, right. Definitions matter, especially in this mm-hmm. particular subject. And you don't want to paint too broad of a brush, and you don't want to uh, make people feel condemned. You know, that's not what right. we or any of us would want. But honesty before God and the Holy Spirit is, is is very very important. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's that's a verse that people really don't like because it says mm-hmm. work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But a proper fear of the Lord in the church would go a long way as far as believing. Hath God said? Yes, He hath said. Um, so I right. think that's a big part of this. Now you um, you were challenged um, intellectually about your faith by a progressive Christian pastor, and it turns out he wanted to basically remake that church into a progressive church. And you came mm-hmm. through this, or we wouldn't be talking today. So I'm really grateful that you uh, critically thought through all these things. Um, do you think that's fairly common? Because a lot of churches have gone to progressive theology because of LGBTQ, uh, racism, mm-hmm. and all these other things. Do you think that's getting to be more and more common in the church? I do. I've had a lot of, like, back when I wrote my book, Another Gospel That Chronicles That Journey, I thought my story was kind of unique. But I've had myriads of people since then tell me, your story is my story. Same exact thing happened mm. to me. So I do think as we see more churches slip into progressive theology, the true church is getting shaken up. And so mm. real Christians that are in those churches are finding themselves in a bit of a crisis, which yeah. I think is good, though, because God is using it to separate the wheat from the chaff and to shake us up and find out what we're made of. Mm-hmm. And I know I certainly did, yeah. and I think others are as well. And even in this deconstruction thing, I have a personal opinion about it. I didn't put this in the book, but I think that God is actually out. I think it's His mercy that this is going on, because I think what we're seeing is a lot of people leaving the church who were never really Christians to begin with, so that they will know they're not Christians, mm. so that they might behold the beauty of the gospel and perhaps become Christians. I think we might see revival come out of this, but without this deconstruction phenomenon, we might have had a lot of people live and die thinking they're Christians and never really know, hey, I wasn't mm. even a Christian to begin with. But this is like a, a, a facing of the reality of, hey, I am not a Christian, yeah. and then we have a clean slate to work with. 
if that makes sense. That's yeah. just kind of my hope. Yes, and I agree with that completely. And I think there's a lot of, even Christians who've been doing this for a long time in apologetics or whatever it is they're doing, um, that's why I read that verse this morning, let us not grow weary while doing good. It, People are weary. We are wondering when this is all going to end. You know, when is the switch going to be flipped on this new world order? Because everything's in place and all it needs is someone to flip that switch. Um, in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And I think there are listeners out there that, that maybe are, there's some fiery darts from the enemy trying to get everyone discouraged. Um, what, what do you say to the church at, at large to just, um, about growing weary? Cause I think mm. we are. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. we have two minutes well, left, I, so what would you like to close with? Yeah, well, I think it's an exciting time to be a Christian. Yes. I think we are uniquely positioned to possibly see the first real persecution in America. Mm. And if we look back through church history, that should be exciting, because we have yeah. the same Holy Spirit, and we have the same Word of God that doesn't change. And so I think we need to trust that our Bible is true, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and God always keeps a remnant. Mm -hmm. And we need to be looking for one another, praying for one another, and stay in the Word and stay in prayer. Yes, yes. Amen to all that. And I think you mentioned persecution. That's a whole other subject as far as cleansing the church um, and getting Mm -hmm. us ready for some hard times. I think that will further uh, cleanse the church when people see other people standing firm in their faith when they have not necessarily stood firm. Um, so, wow, Elisa, we could probably go on a long time. And uh, I, I love having this conversation with you. I think that it really needs to be said. Uh, again, uh, the, um, uh, the book, Deconstruction, sorry, The Deconstruction of Christianity, what it is, why it's destructive, and how to respond. Do you feel that we've covered all those bases today? I think we okay. did. I thought we Great. covered a lot of good ground. Great. Sounds good. Um, thank you so much, Elisa, for being on. And I'm, I'm just really praying that the book will go far and wide and that people will um, be ministered to those who are uh, trying to help someone with that process. So thank you, dear. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Mary. I loved it. God bless you. All right. We have, uh, coming up the rest of this week, we have Alex Newman on Wednesday, and that is going to be a replay uh, on Thursday, Dave Jenkins, and I'm, I'm anxious to talk to Dave as well because we're going to talk about contentment. And um, I think with that, we'll talk about suffering. And I don't recall having a conversation about suffering and what, what it accomplishes in our lives. So I'm very interested to talk to Dave about that. Friday, Holly Pivick. Uh, she has written books about the NAR, and I think that it has been very insidious. It has been reaching into churches. And she's going to enlighten us about the NAR. So that's what's coming up the rest of this week. Thank you for joining me. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Praise God. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. Have a great day on purpose.